Hi, I'm Paul Cheel, and you are listening to Season 3 of the Public Relations Podcast, Smoke Signal. I'm thrilled to kick off this season of Smoke Signal with Stephen Waddington. I could spend a whole episode going through his bio alone, but suffice to say he's grown, led and sold a number of agencies in the UK. As founder and managing partner of Wads Inc., he's a business advisor to agent, agency clients in the UK and across the globe. He's a visiting professor in practice at Newcastle University and has, is a published author co-writing the fifth or the latest edition of Exploring PR and Management Communication, which was published in January 2021. At the start of the global pandemic, as the world was turned upside down, I put a hold on the Smoke Signal podcasts. So for the first episode back, I thought it only right to look at how COVID-19 has changed the world of PR and communications. It is the work Stephen has done with one of his clients, the UK's Government Communication Service, and a report he was commissioned to write titled COVID-19 Communications Advisory Panel Report looking into how organizations have communicated during the lockdown that I've invited him on to discuss on this episode. Stephen, thanks for joining me on Smoke Signal. Paul, thanks for having me. I, I join you. I'm actually on uh, the houseboat um, that um, my wife and I have in, in London on the River Thames um, that we use for a, an office and home when, when we're in London. So I'm delighted to, to join you. It was actually one of the points I was going to make. It's it's the ultimate in remote working and showing how passe the office may be. Well, I, yeah, I think so. Do you know what we? So we spend our time uh, shuttling between uh, home in Newcastle and, and London when we need to be here for work. Of course, that's become a lot less uh, as as the world has gone remote. But yeah, the services we've got uh, on the on the quayside uh, on the River Thames. Uh, near Tower Bridge in London are far better often than the services in terms of internet broadband, at least, uh, and mobile broadband that we have up in Newcastle. All right. That's a, that paints a great picture of where you're speaking to us from. So let's start with a brief overview of the Government Communication Service and what it is for those in Australia who may not have heard of it, and then an overview of the specific paper you were commissioned to write. Okay. So, so the Government Communication Service is a uh, a, a professional uh, service organisation that exists within the civil service uh, in the UK to support um, and lead best practice um, um, across civil service uh, departments, public sector departments across the UK government. Actually, its influence is much bigger than that because it publishes numerous, well, p- publishes openly numerous best practice guides um, from its OASIS planning guide right the way through to examples of, of uh, uses of, of different channels and and content and, and such like. And I'd urge any professional communicator to, to go and look those out because they really are exemplars uh, for best practice. Um, so very early on uh, during the crisis, um, it's... Um, the head of the head of um, the head of uh, the government communications service, uh, a man called Alex Aitken, his executive director, uh, pulled together a group of uh, the professional associations in the UK, um, and I'm going to list those. So, the Chartered Institute of Marketing, Chartered Institute of Public Relations, the Institute of Internal Comms, the Local Government Association, 
the Public Relations Communication Association, uh, and it pulled together uh, mem- the, the heads of each of those teams, so chief, chief executives or director generals, and and we met weekly, um, actually for a period of around six months, for two things. Uh, firstly, to um, provide a, a channel to government for the impact uh, of COVID-19 on our profession, uh, and we made some specific interventions uh, including a um, including a uh, a network for for um, reassigning, reemploying, um, and providing jobs to 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 people that have been misplaced during COVID nineteen, uh, and the report that we'll come on to talk talk about uh, is another intervention. That was the first thing. The second thing was then to to uh, act as a critical friend, if you like, to government on uh, the communication rollout as as it happened. Um, throughout the pandemic fantastic so the report itself it looks at the impacts and and opportunities for communication professionals from COVID-19 and I think it's especially timely in Australia as we start to emerge from lockdown as well so before we dive into I guess the key findings I mean what were some of your key takeouts um, from the research and from those you know weekly discussions that you were having with those leaders across the industry so um COVID-19 had an immediate and dramatic effect on professional communications in two ways. Uh, Firstly, if, unfortunately, you were working in a sector um, that was directly impacted by the lockdown, and many were, um, you you found yourself um, almost certainly on furlough. Um, And and so there was a, you know, a large number of the, uh, large number of the profession um, working in, for example, the entertainment sector, cultural sector, or, or restaurant and hospitality sector that, you know, were, were furloughed. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, and the Paolo impact here, those working in uh, public health, retail, if you like, at the front end in responding to the, the crisis, uh, were working um, harder than 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 ever, um, trying to deal with this, you know, the, this once in a lifetime event and its impact on so many aspects uh, aspects of our life. So what we tried to what we tried to do with this report is record those experiences and understand what the impact might be on professional communications um, long term. The two parts to it, we did a, a literature review. Um, so there's not much. There wasn't much. Uh, um, academic literature, but I mean, it's very early published. Um, but you know, there's lots of contemporary work, blogs, people recording diaries, um, opinion articles, and, and and so forth about the impact on on communications. That was the first thing. The second thing, then, um, I interviewed um, people in senior roles, both in the public sector and within um, within um, large enterprises, large enterprise organisations. Um, at a communication level about their their impact and and this the report tells us a story of of uh, their experiences and so one of the key findings in that report is this idea that since the last time I recorded this podcast eighteen months ago, this idea that communications has really evolved into this strategic management and leadership function. I think it's probably something that all of us in PR and communications strived for pre global pandemic and and hoped we were we were at had a seat at the table but it really feels like covid-19 has made 
leaders and executive teams uh, realize that critical role of communications? Is that is that what you found? I, so I absolutely agree with you. Um, communication was uh, professional communication was absolutely critical for organisations. Uh, we ch- chuck around that phrase "seat at the table," and and you know, seat at the table is indicative of. of having access to, to senior leadership. Um, and if we didn't have access as, as practitioners before COVID-19, we almost certainly do now. And we did, then that shift happened very, very quickly um, because um, communication with various stakeholders about the changing nature of organisations in response to COVID-19 was was absolutely critical and you know um, public relations was on the front foot in doing that so you typically found a communication leader um was if they if they weren't um reporting into a board chief executive prior to the crisis um almost certainly from day one or did, did very old into the onset of the crisis they were they were brought into daily stand-up meetings um they were part of the 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 frontline response team that happened almost immediately. Uh, and then the skills, once we were in that role, the skills that we supported leaders with, you know, were, were various. So listening, planning, uh, engaging with internal and external stakeholders in uh, how organizations have had to change uh, both um, in response to the crisis. But then as you know, so many organizations were, were went remote during lockdown, you know, how we, we engaged, uh, employees, um, during, during that time. And this, in my experience, you know, so I'm sat from the UK, we're working in the UK. I appreciate you're in Sydney in lockdown, uh, where we've, come out of, of what I hope is our final lockdown vaccination rates are, are, are high um, and you know I, I hope we're in some a, a recovery type phase uh, and you can see already the critical role communication pl- has played during the crisis is living on because communicators are, are being called upon to help organizations through this through this phase one of the things we observed in in the report was this shift uh, in recognizing the importance of societal issues around an organization uh, and its environmental responsibility. This term ESG really came to the fore. I mean, it's, you know, ESG is a principle that, that, that has been around for a decade or more, but it really came to the fore as a, as a framework for, for organizations to, you know, to, to um, hold themselves accountable and report to stakeholders um, in terms beyond their f- financial metrics. And COVID-19 is one reason for that, but there's a whole load of other reasons, such as the Black Lives Matter movement um, that occurred um, in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so what do you think, I mean, building on that point, what do you think drove that shift in recognition of, of communications for a critical function and recognition of those societal is- issues? Was this because... COVID-19 and the global pandemic was just, it just hit everyone. It was a crisis that, you know, no one could avoid. Every organization was impacted. Um, You know, I guess organizations may gain this recognition when they're in a crisis themselves as an individual company, but in in this scenario, every company was, was impacted. Uh, Yeah, it's difficult to comment, to, uh, to, to comment on the specifics, but you know, the, 
the general point was you have this crisis situation, complex stakeholder uh, environments and organizations going through having to drive uh, incredible levels of innovation and, and change. And that's when professional management community Education, you know, comes absolutely to to the fore uh, and, uh, as a strategic uh, function. So, so that's the first point. The second point is, yeah, I've already described the the devastating impact that that COVID nineteen's had on financial capital markets. That was fairly quick and swift. Um, I was looking studying some reports uh, last year. Uh, sorry, last night uh, on. You know the economic impact, and it looks like you know most economies around the world are going to have been hit by eight to ten percent of, of GDP. But that recovery has come back, bounced back uh, really quick, and I think that's you know that's because of the levels of innovation applied within organisations led by um, led by the communication function. Um, third thing, and the, the final point is that this this um, the, the, the speed with which this this all happened um, brought to bear the fact that if an organization is focused and we're talking about enterprises now focused purely on financial metrics um, you know that's not going to hold much stay during a global pandemic um, you know it's it, we need to measure organizations and the performance of organizations in more sophisticated ways you know in terms of their commitment to society uh, and their commitment to to the environment and I think that's what's driving that final point on ESG so you touched on internal communication employee engagement and obviously that became a big focus for all organizations again as they had to deal with their employees working remote and 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 not being in the office. I mean, what what some of the what are some of the trends you found emerge in that space? And I guess probably more interesting, do you how do you see these changes? I guess having long lasting effects on on change communication. It's really interesting, right? So so, so uh, we're both speaking from from home offices right now. Um, you know, for the last eighteen months, I've allowed people that I never would before into my you know parts of my house, uh, into my bedroom. Um, on calls and and you know that has had a hugely personalizing effect uh, on on just society um, at, a, at a very fundamental level and of course the impact on that in, in communications is to humanize how leaders leaders communicate and I, I think we've 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 seen and I hope it continues we've seen a real uh, sort of humility come into uh, how how leaders speak within their organisations. So the notion of uh, you know doing a big set piece uh, internal communications event or conference, um, you know, I, I actually had uh, examples come out during, and I think I cite one in the report. You know, the big set piece uh, where the CEO jumps on a, a call at the end of the week uh, to do a. Um, um, a team meeting uh, with his, you know, hundred hundred senior leaders, and and it's heavily scripted and curated and managed within, uh, you know, within an inch of its life. Um, that's all gone. That's completely gone. So, and that's been replaced by a far more casual approach. Uh, n- not in terms of uh, the importance of the content, but in terms of how in- leaders deliver messages. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, second thing, we've discovered all these new channels, uh, and I think there's a shakeout ongoing here. 
uh, and there's going to have to be. Uh, we've discovered all these new channels and new ways to, to communicate. Now, if you remove face-to-face communication uh, and replace it with digital forms of communication, you typically find that organizations start to over-communicate. So we have become slaves to Slack and Zoom and you know all, all sorts of different forms of digital channels. And I think there's going to be a period where you know we figure out a balance there. Um, but there is no doubt we have applied these tools, um, you know, to, to overcome the, the, the distance and the lack of, of face-to-face um, communication. And that, you know, that's, that's got to be a, a good thing. Um, I want to tell a really interesting story. And, and I suppose this relates to my, the, the, the issue of humanizing communications, but, but also how communications of, of how organizations have opened up. Uh, and become a lot more transparent during during the crisis. I found one example of of um, an organisation in the UK, Tata Steel, large steel manufacturer, has a complex stakeholder environment in that it has um, a contractor workforce, it has a complex supply chain, it has employees that you know are, are, are operating steel foundries, and, and, and you know. Don't have access to to um, don't have access to desktop computers and, and such like. Are working in a, a literal on factory floor, um, they found the most effective way of communication during the crisis wasn't to use internal channels, it was to rip it all up. Uh, and the uh, head of internal communications, Tim Rutter, worked with the local management, uh, Mark, Martin Brunnock. Uh, in the UK, and you can go and find this on Facebook, uh, and published a letter, sort of a daily blog every day, intended as his primary audience for em- for employees. But the impact of that was really interesting. It you know it reached the local communities around where the foundries are. It reached um, local MPs. It reached suppliers and, and contractors and, and so forth. Uh, and and so you know. That openness and transparency was was embraced by a much wider stakeholder group, uh, and 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 genuinely appreciated. I think. So was that about openness, or was that about our employees are flooded by information all day, every day? We're just going to to put it here, and it's it's there for them to absorb how and when they want. I think it. So it was both. I think the the most primary the 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 the, the uh, primary achievement of that though was. Uh, was just to cut through, yes, cut through all the noise in a very transparent and and, and open way. And of course, we can't lift the lid on on every single organisation and and bear all to the world. Ultimate radical transparency isn't possible because of commercial and competitive issues. Uh, but you know, I, I just thought it was a very good uh, example of, of of best practice. And so how does that internal communications challenge translate for agencies? So, you know, as I mentioned up top, you've you've led a number of agencies. You work with agencies now in terms of advising them on their strategy and growth. A lot of people listening to this podcast would be agency-based. How does the internal communications challenges play out for agencies? So I think we're, we're operating in an environment at the moment uh, agency side where most the most organizations are still working in some sort of hybrid way it differs from from market to market uh, i speak to colleagues in the us and and you know there's there's a bigger shift back to the office than there is say in the uk the latest data i've got 
for the UK is around 50% of, of agency colleagues are back working, you know, two or three days a week. Um, um, less, a tiny fraction are working full-time, 2%. It's almost, you know, um, that could be a statistical error. Uh, I think the future is going to be some sort of hybrid environment. So while we recognize tremendous benefit of knowledge workers, you know, during the COVID-19 pandemic and being able to work from home, you know, I, I, I speak for myself, very fortunate, 25, 30 years experience, um, you know, built professional networks. I, in fact, launched my professional services business during COVID-19, recognizing the opportunity that that was to come. So, you know, to all intents and purposes, I've had a good lockdown. Um, <laughs> it's not been without challenges in terms of homeschooling and, you know, who'd ever have thought that any of us would spend uh, 18 months uh, 24-7 with our, our families. But, you know, there's been benefit, tremendous benefit from that as well. I, I think as we look to the future, there's almost at the moment in the UK a sense of relief and just a not a desperation, but um, but an enthusiasm to grab any opportunity uh, to get together and we're, we're for people to meet. And we're in this odd situation where we seem to have forgotten everything that we've learned from, from the last 18 months. So, you know, in-person events, lunches, conferences, uh, meetings are, uh, are back. Um, I think it will settle. It will settle in time because there's no doubt we've gained tremendous benefit from from working in a remote um, sphere. But also, you know, there is a need, especially in an agency environment, uh, for teams to come together to work on projects. You cannot be having the energy in a room uh, around a brainstorm or any part, you know, part of the the creative process. Um, there's also the need for tacit learning. You know, it's really difficult or has been really difficult um, to train and onboard people in the agency environment um, during COVID-19. Um, we, you know, we, the, the employment data s- speaks loudly on this, that, you know, people coming out of uh, university and graduates have, have struggled in the last 12 months to to find employment now that's changed and it's changed very very quickly but one of the issues there has been onboarding and just that tacit learning of of you know experiencing life in an office and that maintaining culture which is so critical for agencies to differentiate themselves yeah culture is an issue now there's a lot of work being done this done on this uh culture and the virtual environment that you know, a, a culture doesn't necessarily depend on uh, individuals being able to work in, a, in the same office uh, or the same location. Um, so, you know, culture is driven uh, across an organisation and it should be able to be a function of, uh, of the virtual environment. But you're right, as soon as we went virtual, there was this reaction to replace that lack of connection with Slack and messaging and Zoom and Google Meeting and and Teams and, you know, and it just became overwhelming. And yes, that sucked any bit of joy out of, of, of any organization. Culture in a virtual environment, I can just see the PhDs, <laughs> the number of PhDs that we've written about that. Funnily enough, I mean, total aside, but I've just I submitted yesterday a research proposal uh, for a PhD off the back of what I've learned over the last eighteen months. Um, I'm not sure. I don't don't know whether it'll be successful yet or not. But you know, 
recognizing the the level of innovation that has been driven by communication within organizations and looking at that the contribution of that uh, I think you know I think it's an incredible it has been an incredible period of time for for creativity and innovation it's also been a very very challenging time so what is that some of that innovation and creativity you've seen one of the findings in the report is about I guess a bit unsurprising, the acceleration to digital media. I mean, I think PR and communication professionals would say, you know, we were we were diving into the world of integrated communications, you know, long before COVID. But I guess what else have you seen on that front in terms of that innovation perspective? Um, so all across area, different areas of practice from, from you know, uh, listening uh, and understanding publics through different communication channels, different means of engagement. Um, you know, the, 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 there's lots and lots of examples. Yeah, you're right. It's almost hackneyed to say um, digital as digital media has, has accelerated as, as, of course, it has. You know, we're in lockdown. We couldn't access print. Um, we turn to the internet to find new ways to to, to stay connected, both, both to stay connected in, in the office, but also uh with family and and to be entertained so you know there's huge rise in social media in messaging in video services um if you want to point to you know in the report we cite different examples of innovative aspects of uh, or innovative applications of different forms of communication you know i think for me um some of the most exciting applications are distributed education distributed um, teaching so um, you know lots of examples where um, communities have been brought together in fact I built a community myself um, during the pandemic communities are brought together around a topic uh, or area of interest uh, to discuss and debate and 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 learn from from each other um, so you know example you you originally reached out to me because I I, I created this conference event Wadzink on a Friday afternoon, you know, that came out of my, on uh, that came out of my um, community of a couple of thousand people. Uh, you know, when I simply asked the question, well, what can we do in, in, in February uh, this year? What can we do as we go into a second lockdown to support and help each other out? And, you know, this, this, uh, this idea of a, uh, an hour once a month where we get four speakers to talk on a topic for five minutes uh, and then have a discussion around it, you know, came out of that. There's loads of examples uh, of that, though, from, you know, um, English teachers moving lessons online uh, to, you know, Joe Wicks um, doing daily exercise classes. Um, in terms of media, um, you know, the big surprise was the rise of, of TikTok, uh, no one saw that coming, or if you did, you were incredibly, incredibly smart. Um, you know, and, and, and beyond that, we've just seen, you know, the general push of all these forms of media into our lives. The last finding I wanted to talk about was dealing with disinformation and misinformation. This was obviously a critical issue when it came to COVID-19 and the subsequent vaccination campaigns. It's definitely something that we saw here in Australia with the mixed messaging around the AstraZeneca vaccination. Previously on Smoke Signal, I've spoken to Jim McNamara on his book, Beyond Post-Communication. He somewhat controversially posits that rather than being caused by a few bad apples, 
the rise of fake news and distrust is equally, if not more, driven by PR professionals, government advisors, advertisers, and journalists. We've heard a lot about fake news and Russian trolls impacting the US election and Brexit. How do you how did you see fake news or you know disinformation impacting uh, communication when it came to COVID nineteen? I'm a big fan of Jim. Um, so Jim McNamara wrote a chapter for in in, in the latest edition uh, of exploring PR and management communication uh, on planning models uh, worth worth looking up. He's a very clever thinker, uh, but also a, a practitioner. Uh, and absolutely agree with his point. One of the books I've read, uh, I've read recently, is a is a book called Public Relations Capitalism by Anne Cronin. Uh, she's an academic at, at Lancaster University, and it takes a sociological approach to uh, to um, public relations, and actually goes much further than Jim in saying that um, public relations. Um, you know, corrupts conversation in the public sphere. You know, leads to as leads to a, ultimately leads to a breakdown of the social contract because um, you know we're inserting voices that that in, into the public conversation that you know are, are being paid to be there. So you know that's kind of a, a, an extreme perspective, but it's a really interest, interest, interesting perspective to to explore. Um, you know, climate change is front foot at the moment on on the uh public consciousness we've got cop 26 coming up uh in glasgow and you know it's a notoriously an area where uh, misinformation exists um and you know again there, there there was a campaign by bp in the late 90s to um deflect attention from carbon footprints to the individual so BP went as far as creating carbon footprint calculators so you could figure out uh, your personal contribution to, to, you know, emitting climate gases, uh, greenhouse gases, and and, and how those are, are reduced, you know, and in doing that, completely misdirected a converse, conversation from the oil and gas industry and other industries that, you know, by far are the major contributors to, to greenhouse gases. So, um, yeah, you know, we have our own responsibilities uh, and part to play. Um, in terms of misinformation per se during COVID nineteen, I think the biggest issue has been uh, the social network. So that anybody uh, that has access to to uh, Facebook, to Instagram, to Twitter uh, uh, can you know disrupt and quite easily cause a lot of harm. Uh, in terms of uh, in terms of misinformation, and you know, I've seen that play out in my own personal networks. Um, it only needs a single post uh, by someone you know with a, a strong opinion in a network to completely sway and, and, and push misinformation, and it takes hold so so quickly. So yeah, you know, it's an absolute, it's a massive challenge. Um, I, I think the the we have to look uh, as we emerge from COVID nineteen at the roles that networks have played, um, particularly Facebook in the spread of uh, in the spread of misinformation, uh, and you know something has to be done about disclosure and reporting, uh, and I can't see any other way. 
Well, Stephen, thank you so much for giving us such great insight into the changes that are happening in communications, literally as we speak. I mean, it kind of reminds me of the the old phrase, never waste a good crisis. And it sounds like from your perspective, that's what communications is. It's kind of, we've been dealt a bad hand, but we're kind of making the best of it in terms of the role of communications. and, And it sounds like, you know, positive steps in ensuring they're embedded, you know, moving forward, just not, just not COVID. So I'll certainly share a link to the report that we've discussed that you wrote for the Government Communication Service, as well as link to your Wads Inc. blog. I definitely recommend people sign up to the Monday Briefing email, which I find um, just a treasure trove of different data and information coming from the world of media and PR and comms. So that'll let listeners keep across your insights. And it's been really great to have you on Smoke Signal. Thank you so much. Paul, thanks for thanks for having me. I really uh, uh, appreciate the opportunity to um, to share some of the stories, I, you know. And if I, if there was one point to, to finish on, it's this: you know, professional communications has never been so important to to, to organisations. So, you know, anyone working in the field, uh, find your lane and and push into it because you know you're guaranteed a, a, a great future ahead. Perfect way to end. Thank you so much, Stephen. I am Paul Cheel, and you've been listening to Smoke Signal. Thank you for listening, and as always, remember to rate Smoke Signal on iTunes or subscribe via the blog. Just search Smoke Signal Podcast.